0: Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have, or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's well today. Currently we're in a series, we're kind of in a series, in a series, that we're entitling just two, two short sermons here, Spiritual Suffering. Last week, Pastor Vance preached an amazing sermon, if you were here, you know, um, really impacted our church, I think, probably for years to come. I want to go over, though, as we're in the middle of this uh, series, this uh, last four weeks, we've had a spiritual reality that we've talked about. We're going to put it up on the screen, and I think we should read it together. So when it pops up on the screen, there we go. All right, let's read it together. You ready? One, two, three. The Christian life is simply who you are in Christ becoming Christ in you. And isn't that true? Like, that's our identity. That's who we are. Who we are is who He is in us. Now we're to remember to submit ourselves to His Lordship so that we can look like who we really are. That'd be great. As Jesus followers, we are who we are because of who Jesus is, and that's really it. Whoever He is, that's who we are. Last week, though, Pastor Vance preached that convicting, that enlightening sermon on what following Jesus really does mean as it pertains to spiritual suffering. In that sermon, he gave us the definition of what that means exactly. So look on the screen with me one more time. I won't make you read this with me, but let me read it to you. Spiritual suffering is is simply this. We defined it as a temporary, undesired consequence of the life of Christ in me. A temporary, undesired consequence of the life of Christ in me. He reminded us of three things last week. Following Jesus means, number one, that we're going to suffer. We will suffer. Number two, we can rejoice, though, while we suffer. That's good news, right? And then number three, suffering has a purpose. Today, though, we're going to look a little bit further into this issue of spiritual suffering from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. But we're going to focus on the next few verses, verses 15 through 19. And I want to read those uh, for you today. And you look along there with me, either on the screen or in the Bible that you have. And we're going to look at three statements concerning what it means to sp- suffer spiritually. Verse 15 of chapter 4, 1 Peter, the Bible says this, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, And if it begins with us first, then what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Today I want to just show you three short statements that I believe are encased here in these verses in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. The first statement is this. I mean, think about what Vance said last week. We will suffer, we can rejoice while we suffer, and suffering has a purpose. But know this, all suffering is not spiritual suffering. Now let me explain a little bit so that we're all on the same page, okay? Okay. In some of the versions of the Scripture, the Bible actually has, and maybe you have this version, it, ha- it starts with the coordinating conjunction for all you English gurus out there, but it's a contrasting uh, word. It means what we just talked about is different from what we're talking about now. The kind of suffering that Vance preached on last week, spiritual suffering, is different from the kind of suffering that we're talking about today. Because here's what he says. Make sure that none of you suffers. As a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler, which we'll get into that one. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in his name. Now, as we talked about last week, suffering for the sake of Jesus is normal. It's actually supposed to happen. Paul wrote to Timothy in in 2 Timothy, and he said this, and it's going to be on the screen. Vance actually used it last week as well. The Bible says this, Paul said, Timothy, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. ruh Uh-oh. Everybody who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution? I mean, listen, either we believe the Bible or we don't, Nico. Well, that's not happening to me. Well, let me just read it one more time. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, the truth is, if you want to follow Jesus, Paul basically wrote and told us here that suffering for the, the sake of Jesus should be expected. We should expect it. It should be anticipated. Like you should plan ahead, right? We shouldn't be surprised. It's supposed to happen. I mean, think about it. Let's just go back and look at the 11 disciples after Judas left the scene and talk about for a minute. A few years ago, Pastor Vance uh, preached a sermon. I believe it was in John 15 at the end of those, those um, chapters, verses 7 or 8. And he actually told us or remind us, those who were here or who heard it online, he, he told us how the disciples actually died, how they were martyred in the manner that they were martyred in. So let me just go back and, and, and kind of reiterate that to prove what Paul was saying about everybody who wants to live a godly life. Now, these guys lost their lives. Here's how they died. Five of them were crucified. Andrew, Thaddeus, Philip, Bartholomew, and Peter. Bartholomew, he was all— he, crucifixion wasn't enough, they beheaded him. If you have kids here today, I'm doing my best. I got five kids too, so I'm not gonna go too graphic, but because there's a lot more we could say. Peter was crucified, but he has to be crucified upside down, as you've heard. Simon the Zealot was sawn in half. Matthew and James, the son of Zebedee, they were both beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten and then stoned to death. Thomas was speared and then thrown into an oven. John died on Patmos, we believe, most people believe. There are some, though, that believe that he was brought off that island and thrown into uh, boiling hot oil and died. we don't know if that's exactly true, that's tradition, but... They all died for the sake of Jesus. Other people, Paul was beheaded. Dionysius, a first century believer, was beheaded. Timothy was stoned to death. Clement of Rome was thrown into the sea with a stone attached around his neck and drowned. And Ignatius of Antioch was thrown to the lions. He was praising God as they were leading him into the Colosseum. He said something to the effect of, today I will be sifted like wheat. I will be ground into wheat for the sake of Jesus. By the teeth of the beasts. Others were thrown into kilns, if you know what a kiln is. Or hot, scathing, scalding, boiling baths. Most were tortured before they died. And you know what? Today's no different. For us, it may be different. But all around the world today, these things are still going on. In fact, all over the world, people are suffering, and some are dying for one simple reason. And it was the reason that these folks died too, that the disciples and the the, the church fathers, the first century believers died as well. And it was for one reason. And listen, the reason is the reason that you're sitting in this room today probably. Because you believe in Jesus and you have faith in him. That's why they died. They died because they followed Jesus. They were Christians. The ones who are dying today are, fo- are dying for one reason. The story that Vance told you last week, the video that we saw together that morning, a Christian only a month ago, is dying for that reason. Being held over a fire and burned if she were an animal to be eaten. Still happening today. Our brothers and sisters all the world understand what I'm talking about completely. An organization called Open Doors who serves persecuted Christians across the world gives us these statistics, and they say that every month, 322 people per month are killed because of their faith in Jesus. For the same reason that you and I are here today to worship God, they are killed. 214 average church buildings or are, are locations are destroyed every month. Take the buildings, though, I guess. 772 acts of, of extreme violence are committed against those who believe and worship Jesus as we do. Every single month. Not every year, not every 10 years, every month. And listen, that's the ones we know about. I personally know some people who've been persecuted, and you may know some people too. And you may be sitting in this room today, and you may have been persecuted, much like what we've already talked about. I know some people, though, in Southeast Asia, two different countries who've been persecuted. There are people who our ministry here at Hope works with in one of those countries. We serve those people in those areas. Those men and women have been killed. We've met some relatives of people who've been killed. They've been thrown off cliffs, cliffs and the like just because they love God and they believe in Jesus. Listen, this isn't exaggeration I'm giving today. I'm not trying to find your heart and bring it to me. Listen, there are things that I can't say because I just don't want to today that are much worse than what I've just mentioned. But all for the sake and all for the name and all the name that we bear for Christ, that those people— Die for their faith. It's not happening here yet, but could I just say this? I sense that that may be changing for us too. Life as we know it may be going by the wayside. It may not be materialism and success like we've always known it. You understand the evil one is a roaring lion. creeping around seeking whom he can devour. And he's slick. Our borders are more open than you'd think. There are people among us. There will be wolves among you, Paul told us. There will be goats who act like sheep. I love what Peter says in just a bit about that, too. That It starts here with us. The suffering for other reasons brought on by us isn't spiritual suffering. Everything I just told you, that's true spiritual suffering, Pastor Teddy. That's true. That's what it's like. To suffer for your faith. Listen, if, if you would take the name of Jesus and put it to the side, we'd leave you alone. That's what spiritual suffering is. That means you're not suffering because of you. That means you're suffering because of him. That's spiritual suffering. But what Paul says, excuse me, Peter says here, we say Paul so much, we just, Paul wrote everything. What Peter says here, that suffering for other, reason brought on, other reasons brought on by us is not spiritual suffering. Peter warned his readers to be sensitive and aware of these things. So look at that first verse, and look what he says in verse 15. He says, make sure that none of you suffers. And he, he goes on to say, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. Suffer here is a, a, a command. This word is actually a command. He says, do not suffer. In other words, don't do this. And it has a strong emphasis here, too. We know this because the language has has this one word that means, listen, focus here. And this focus is this. Never suffer. Never, ever, ever do this. Never find yourself suffering because of these reasons. Don't ever. Don't suffer because of your own sin. Don't suffer because of your own bad behavior. Some of us have got our bad behavior, and no, I'm just, I'm suffering for the Lord. My dad only dissed me when I needed it. <laughs> Woo! I know that now. It didn't seem such at the time. But I understand that now. He always loved me. But listen, I was never able to get by with or away from my bad behavior. And I never said, well, I've just got a bad dad or it's somebody else's fault. Like, I need to take responsibility for my own sin, my own action, my own criminality in some cases. Don't ever. Make sure here means this. It means determine beforehand you won't do this. Be certain never to ever do this. Plan ahead and be ready to never do this. Do this if you do nothing else or don't do this if you don't do anything else. Don't suffer as a murderer. In other words... Do not cause yourself or allow yourself to suffer because of the consequences of your bad behavior, of your sin, of your unchristian conduct. Thomas Schreiner said this. He said, not all suffering qualifies one for God's blessing and joy for human beings also suffer when they do what is evil. Are are, are you with me here? There's spiritual suffering because of the name that you bear, and then there's spiritual suffering because you're just acting crazy. Stop. Don't ever do that. Peter understood what we understood, that Christians are still able to sin. We in this room can still sin, even after salvation. We have the ability to sin. Therefore, he urges them, us, not to ever suffer due to their own willful choice. And by the way, don't try to brand what you do. Every suffering on Christianity either. Why? Because some, some things that you suffer are brought on by you and have nothing to do with him. He gives us like two, he gives us four, but he gives us two sections of, the, of, of each. So the first thing he talks about is this. He gives two str- extreme examples, murderer and thief. You're like, whoo, I'm good there. <laughs> He said, "Don't ever suffer because you've killed somebody. Don't ever suffer because you have stolen things that were not yours." A murderer is an individual who kills. When a person kills another, there are consequences that aren't spiritual. Listen, I believe that there are saved people in prison who've killed people. I've met them. They're saved. They're suffering the consequence. Some of them may suffer the ultimate consequence. And Peter said, don't do that. There are some who suffer because they're thieves, an individual who steals. When a person steals, there are consequences that aren't spiritual. They're just physical, real, realm, tangible things. If you're going to steal, you're going to suffer the consequence for that. And Peter said, "Don't, don't do that because you can't call that spiritual suffering. Then he gives us two more milder examples, one of them really mild. He said, don't be an evildoer, literally a person who is a doer of bad. It's kind of a general meaning, a general term that means anything that's bad, don't do that. Anything that's opposite of God, don't do that. That's how you know it's bad. But then last he says, don't be a troublesome meddler. We all giggle because we know. Those first three might not have gotten you so hard, but this one, uh uh-oh. It's actually two words put together. The first word that's put together in the Greek language is the word to belong to another. Something that belongs to another. The last word is the word overseer. To oversee what somebody else has, it's not yours. In other words, to get in somebody's business (laughs) when it's not your business. Here's what Peter does. He goes from killing somebody to just being flat-out annoying. (laughs) He goes from don't suffer because you've murdered to don't suffer because you annoy people or are always in somebody else's affairs. It's not your business. Now, let me just camp here for a second, okay? The reason that this list is important is not because I think I'm looking at a bunch of murderers or thieves, but understand this. Jesus raised a standard on that, and so what I know is, is that I am looking at a bunch of murderers and thieves. And if I had a mirror, I'd be looking at another one. You see, when we look at this passage, a lot of times what we say is, we're not a murderer, I'm not a thief. I'm. A... Here's the thing. Jesus said, when you hate somebody, you're a murderer. Like, murder is hate, and hate is murder. He said, if you lust after someone, you are an adulterer. Like, he raised a standard on what we thought the, the physical or the... The fleshly sins are, but they're deeper than that. See, some of us think I'm not a thief, but let me ask you this. Are you lazy? Like at your job, do you steal time from your employer? You know that pencil that cost five cents? You took it? Listen, you say, Tom, that's just, you know, what do you call it? Borrowing? (laughs) Listen, to understand this passage the best, we've got to have that in, 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 in view and in light of the context here too. And the context was Nero was over everything. Nero was persecuting Christians left and right. He was hanging them up on posts, light posts. He would set them on fire. You heard what Vance said. This was an evil man. And listen, he was looking at any trace of anything wrong so that he could take them and do what he wanted to with them. And here's what he said. You're making yourself noticeable by being a troublesome meddler. Listen, suffer for God on his timing and on his, and his ways, not on yours. You see, you If you're going to kill somebody, if you're going to be a thief, if you're going to be a a doer of evil, if you're going to be a troublesome meddler, all that's going to do is heighten where Nero could say, and those who are outside the faith in this culture could say, that's what Christianity is. Does that make sense? That's what it is? Listen, all suffering isn't spiritual suffering. He goes on to say this. Well, Before I get to that. He makes the inference in the next verse that helps us understand this verse that we should actually be ashamed that we do that. Shame on us. Shame on us for heightening our sense of sin, for bringing our our, our physical sin into the light to make them come and grab us and arrest us and persecute us. We should be arrested for being a murderer. We should be arrested for being a thief. We should have some consequences for being, there should be, for being a troublesome meddler. And we should be ashamed of that. Why? Because it looks nothing like God. That sin brings no glory to God. Suffering for Him brings glory to God. Suffering because of what we do brings zero glory to Him. Zero. Zero. Peter says, like Pastor Vance talked about last week, following Jesus means we will suffer. We can expect it, but look what he says in verse 16. But if anyone suffers, there's the but again. There's the contrasting uh, conjunction for what he's talking about previously in verse 15. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Did you know that the word Christian is only used three times in all Scripture. This is one of the places. The other two are both in Acts. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and Acts chapter 26, verse 28. The term Christian actually is a harsh term of criticism, but it's only used three times. It denoted that the person, listen to this, who wore this name, Christian, was saying about themselves that they were putting Christ as the center of their faith and life. Peter here is saying that by being a Christian, That'll bring glory to God by suffering for the faith that you believe in. Look at the words he uses. Don't be ashamed. And other, hey, listen, remember I told you just a minute ago that, that he said, don't ever do this, like, don't ever, ever suffer for these reasons? He uses the same exact word here when he says this. Don't do this. Don't do what? Don't be ashamed of yourself for following Jesus. As much as I'm asking you, Peter said, don't ever be caught suffering because of your own sin. I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't ever be ashamed because you suffer for the name Christian. Because you wear that name on your chest, on your forehead. Never, ever, ever be ashamed. See yourself as as not. Don't let people shame you either. Don't stay quiet. Don't renounce your faith. No reason to be ashamed. Instead, glorify God because of the name you have in Him. Be thankful of the name that you bear and that you even get to bear the name. Be thankful. A few years ago, I may have even told this story. If I have, bear with me. For those of you who haven't heard it, awesome. Awesome years ago I was in uh, Southeast Asia in a huge city there. We'd been there for a week, week and a half, and um, we, we had done the mission that we had been asked to do and I had 12 college students with me who, you know college kids, they're invincible. You know, they do stuff that you're never gonna do, you know, and they think they're gonna be fine and they always scare me a little. And they had done a great job that week and we were walking out of the college campus we were on uh, one of them said, hey, uh, Tom, could we, uh, just a favor, just a favor here. Could we eat American food tonight? Now, uh, you know, in this country, American food is not really that American. <laughs> so I had the bright idea that I knew one place that would be totally American, and I knew we could go there. And I said, where are the golden arches? (laughs) Because McDonald's and Coca-Cola everywhere in the world. And I knew I'd seen one, and so when I came out, I I took a right, and I should have taken a left, because it was just a couple blocks down from where we came out, but I took a right, and we walked for six, seven blocks, and finally I just said, I don't know where I'm going, which became very obvious to them, we were in this intersection, I promise you, it was six lanes one way, and they were on all four directions. And so the, there were cars everywhere, bicycles everywhere. And I just raised my hand, and I just said, hey, does anybody speak English? And this one kid, and a lot of them do, but they didn't They didn't really want to talk to me. I probably looked odd raising my hand in the middle of the intersection. But the one kid came over He said, I, I do. I said, where's McDonald's? That's all I want to know. I'll share the gospel later. Where's McDonald's? And, uh, and by the way, I did, just so you know. So he, he told me. He walked with us the whole way. The next day, uh, I, I, I contacted him. The next day, he showed us around the whole city. It was really an awesome time that we had. I shared the gospel with him. He didn't give his life to Christ. Last thing I saw was the, the, the subway doors closing and him waving, and I just thought, you know, because I'd shared with him all day long, and he rejected, and he said, that's not what I believe. That's not what I've been taught and uh, I didn't know if I would ever see him again. I had some friends that were going to come be missionaries there, though, full-time, about two or three months later, and I said, listen, when they get here, when my friends get here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them your contact information. I want you to hook up with them, because I was almost for certain that God was doing something in his life, and if, and if he was doing something in our life, that Michael and Shannon would get to be the, the harvesters, if you will. Well, about six months later, he gave his life to Jesus. Probably two or three months after that, he emailed me. He said, Tom, I need you to, I need you to pray for me. I said, okay, what, what can I pray for you about in the email? He said, I need you to pray. He said, uh, I've been dating this girl for a while, and we had planned on getting married, and then I gave my life to Christ, and everything fell apart. And he said, I feel like it's literally the name that I bear has caused this to happen. Because I think if I put Christianity down, he said, because here's what she said. It's either Jesus or me. And he said, I told her, bye bye True story. You understand that the name that you bear, whether it's being killed or losing your girlfriend, it's a serious matter. Don't be ashamed. Like he knew there's something that's lasting and it's not that. Like there'll be another girl. There'll be hey, Listen, God's got somebody planned for me. And listen, this guy's heart was broken. He'd be planning for years to marry this girl. In that country, the government wouldn't let you marry until you're 25. He said, I gave it up, so pray for me because I need to be stronger. But I got this name, Tom. Listen, he had that name all over him. So much so that he gave up everything that he wanted to be able to do it, to have it. Does that describe you? Would you be willing to give up whatever? Did you give up whatever? Why haven't you? Or is Christianity something where you walk in, you sing the songs, and you, and you leave and you wipe your brow? That's not spiritual suffering. He said that all who want to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 5, Jesus said it like this. He said, Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Listen to this because of me. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, we will suffer. But we shouldn't suffer because of our sin, amen? But we will suffer because of who we follow and the name that we wear. But there's good news. Number two, statement number two, all spiritual suffering is only for a season. A few months ago, Pastor Travis actually preached a sermon that was kind of similar to this from this same book in the first chapter. All spiritual suffering is only for a season. He says, for it is time For judgment to begin with the household of God. I'm going to stop there because you say, Tom, I just don't see that in there. Like, Where does it say that all spiritual suffering is only for a season? Well, there are two words that we know that these speakers had that meant time. The first one was the word chronos, and it meant chronological. It's where we get our word clock from, our watch. At a certain time, you know, 9.55, 10.05, See, some of you looking at your watch, you knew I was close, didn't you? Yeah, I was just, I threw that in there. That fell. 2015, that's chronology. But the other word was a word that, listen to this, meant season. It was the word kairos. Here he uses the word kairos, and he said, there's a season. You see, here's what I want you to know. Spiritual suffering isn't forever. This is good news if they're hanging you up somewhere. (laughs) This is good news if you're behind a cell door because of your faith. This is good news. This is good news if you're my friend who gave up his girlfriend. It's not forever. There's a season for it. There's a time. The season of suffering can only go so far and no further. Suffering isn't endless. God sets its parameters and allows its intensity. I mean, think about the story of Job. How bad he had it physically. Lost all of his kids, lost all of his possessions. His wife and his friends didn't even believe in him. But Jesus rectified all that, gave him twice as much as he had before cleaned up his body, set him back where he needed to be. There's a season for suffering. God allowed the suffering, but Job's end was better than his beginning. Psalm 35 says this, 30 verse 5 says this, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Suffering won't last forever. And this is awesome news for those who are persecuted or who are, who suffer on a consistent basis. Know this, the word judgment here isn't talking about impending destruction of humankind. This isn't the Armageddon, okay? This isn't, you know, here's what he's talking about, judgment. He says, it begins with us first here. It'll begin with us. It'll begin with hope. It'll begin with this family, with this body, this purification, this this process of refining. He said he's making us more like him. And he's working from the inside out. From here to our community, not from community. We, we, you know, we're like, Jesus, please come back so you can kill all these lost people. You know? So you can get rid of all these mean folks who are atheists. And No, no, Jesus said, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to refine you first. Is there, another, is there another way? Suffering weeds out those who aren't in the faith. There are some who even may sit in this room today, and you're not in the faith, and you've played the game. You've done the thing. You've answered the questions. You have the knowledge, but you're really not in the faith. I tell you, suffering will weed that out. The church will become pure. The church will be cleansed through suffering. But there's a time and a season for it. And Peter says to his readers, the time is now. We're being refined. We're being purified. This time of suffering is actually a time of refinement, a purification. It's that process of refining gold. We become more like God than before the suffering began, both individually and as a church family. And then the last statement is this. Not only we shouldn't suffer because of what we do, because of how we sin and we should understand that suffering has a season. Number three, in the midst of all spiritual suffering, know that God is big and God is faithful. We put that as simply as we knew how to put it. Trust in the Lord. We, told, we prayed this morning. We sang about it this morning. Our trust in Him. God is big. God is faithful. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, all, those also who suffer according to the will of God, listen to this, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Those who suffer, who are currently suffering, who are certainly suffering. And then he says this. Here's the phrase that gets me. Dave, here, here it is. According to the will of God. You ever notice how we use that phrase, the will of God? We say stuff like, well, it's just the will of God. I got that brand new promotion, big raise. It's the will of God. It's God's will. Got a brand new car. It's the will of God. Look how God's blessed us. The will of God. We always think the will of God is only for our blessing. You understand that the reason that you may suffer the way you suffer is because it's the will of God. He said, "Those who suffer according to the will of God." I know it seems harsh, but think about it. It is God's will for us to suffer spiritually as much as it is not his will for us not to suffer because of our bad behavior of sin. It is his will And if God has set a time for suffering, then there's a reason. And we just said the reason was to purify us, to refine us. And if there is a reason, and if he has a reason, then it's good for us. Wayne Grudem said this. He said in the midst of suffering, Upon reflection, no better comfort in suffering can be found than this. It is is God's good and perfect will. Woo! That's good. I don't know if we'll ever get to the point of understanding this like some of our brothers and sisters in Christ do, but it's still true. Listen, God's will sometimes isn't easy. God's will sometimes is a little bit painful. God's will sometimes is very painful. Amen? But it's God's will. And I'll promise you, it really is in the end for our good. He knows what he's doing. He knows the direction that he wants to go. He knows the end of everything. He is big. He is faithful. He said that what those people should do, because it's the will of God, the ones who are suffering, they should entrust their souls. They should entrust themselves. This word entrust means to put or to place. Listen to this. Someone to the care or protection of another. God, I I trust you to protect me. I trust you to care for me. I know that you're going to do what's best for me. We should trust our lives with him. Put your life and your suffering into his hands. Trust him. Why? He tells us the very last two words. Because he's a faithful creator. He's a creator. He's big! I don't know anything bigger than the one that created everything I see and don't see, and read about, and things we can't see that are in the deepest part of the ocean or in the corpuscles of our very body. He created all of that. He's big. I like trusting somebody like that. The Bible says that not only is he big, he's also faithful. He he uses that adjective to describe who God is. He's faithful too. He will never leave us or forsake us. Paul wrote to Timothy and said this. He said, when we are faithless, he is faithful. When we have no faith at all, even in him, he has all the faith in us. He, he is faith, not faithful.